Hello, I'm Kat Meredith and I'm here with Francisca Maga and Deborah Hardoon from Oxfam's research team to discuss a book called Weapons of Math Destruction by Cathy O'Neill. Francisca, can you tell me what a weapon of math destruction is? So a weapon of math destruction is a mathematical model that she qualifies, so she coined this term, which she very casually <laughs> renamed a WMD. So it sounds, it does sound like a weapon of mass destruction rather than math destruction. And that is a, a mathematical model that is has three characteristics. First of all, it's scalable. So it is something that you could apply to a, a small um, sample of data, but also to a very big one. It is done in secret, so it has a degree of secrecy over how it was developed, a lack of transparency over which uh, terms and variables go into the model, um, and it's prone to creating negative feedback loops. So that by that she means um, these models have the capacity to do harm for some uh, resulting from some of the data that the model itself spits out. So Cathy O'Neill is a well-known mathematician, is she? Yeah. yeah, that's right. And she wrote this book in 2016. So uh, it came out a while ago. It's not absolutely up to date, but it's obviously very relevant in the current climate. And why did you choose to read it? Actually, Franziska recommended this book and I was very keen to read it when I, you know, read the blurb on the back. Um, it's, it's all about how these weapons of math destruction can increase inequality and threaten democracy is, is the tagline. And so for me, this was really important. I mostly do research on inequality. So looking at the gap between the rich and the poor and what keeps people trapped in certain positions in the economic distribution and so for me it was really interesting and important to understand how the world of big data and how mathematical tools and algorithms and services and products are all exacerbating and keeping people trapped in this kind of world of of extreme and rising level of inequality. I also thought it was very interesting thought exercise to read her and to follow her thinking to understand what <clears throat> the differences are between big data, a model, a tool of prediction or an, an algorithm or any other statistical um, tool of data analysis because all of these are supposed to have some degree of objectivity but do they really? And this is a point that I think Oxfam can learn something on. We, When we talk about inequality, for example, we participate in the measurement discussion and we say when we think, hold on, something is supposed to be measured objectively about economic inequality, but does it really tell us the full story? Is that all we need to know? So we're kind of participants in this measurement discussion but um, on that topic, uh, there are other dimensions to it. If we want to be an informed and mindful discussant um, in the measurement sphere, um, then we should be aware of what's out there and where what that affects. Yeah, and just to add, I mean, Cathy O'Neill should know, right? So she's worked yeah. in academia. She's a, a really well-respected mathematician, but she also worked in the finance sector at the time um, leading up to and just after the financial crash. So she's seen firsthand how um, mathematical models and quant in the financial sector can have destructive impacts, but also she's worked in the um, private sector as well. So, so she's seen a lot of the way that math can be used as a leading mathematician in, in the real economy, in the real world. And so it was really important for us to, to read her and, and see her perspective on this. 
So it sounds like the book raises some really big issues. Is it something that you would recommend? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I mean, so I think it's really important that we understand what big data and what all the data being collected about us, on us, will mean for our future as, you know, as citizens, as people living in the real economy, in the environment, for our democracies and so on. Um, For me, it's really about making sure that we're we're future-proofing ourselves, if you like. So it, I think it's inevitable that the um, the transformation that data will have on the way that businesses work and societies work can have positive implications and can have negative implications. And it's right that we should be um, aware of what those potentially negative implications will be and then put in place the necessary regulations and um, institutions and watchdogs and so on. Um, I mean, in the in the end of the book, Cathy O'Neill talks about the Industrial Revolution and how um, as the world was changing and producing and growing and transforming, there were... Um, there were many negative implications. There were um, people dying in cold mines. There were children um, being the ones that were producing our goods and services. And there was a lot of exploitation and extraction as the world progressed. And it was later that regulation was put in place that you know limited the working week, that, um, that criminalized child labor and, and so on, and put in place the regulations that would enable the world still to progress and industrialize, but in a way that, that took into account some of the potential risks and nev- negative implications. And so I think of, of reading this book as a way to help inform us in terms of how we should be putting in place regulations and protections for the risks that might ensue from what what this new um, data and this new way of managing data and mass could potentially bring to our societies. What are the main types of data we're talking about here? That's a very good question. So all her examples are very US centric. So she gives a range of different um, examples, which I would say range from a more passive end of the spectrum of a weapon of mass destruction to something more active, which is more um, geared towards predicting something. So all of the examples are from the US. And for example, there is a a one on a college ranking system, um, which I would say is the more passive end of some of a model um, so that's a that's a, a tool for ranking colleges according to different dimensions and criteria then there's other ones there is one um, that is about evaluating teachers which has a much more predictive character to it and it's a much more elaborate model there's one on algorithms that score credits credit scores so how well someone is likely to be able to pay off a credit um, which again creates that negative feedback loop um, if you give worse credits to poorer people then they are of course less likely to be able to pay them off um, and targeted advertising is also a weapon of mass destruction so these little things that you see popping up on Facebook or Twitter that look a little bit different for every for every user that's an example that she uses. Yeah, and so some of the data we know is collected about us and some is is more sort of subtle. And there's um, the last chapter that really deals with the kind of data is all about behavioural data as well and, and tracking literally the shops that you're going to, the streets that you're walking down. Um, so there's, there's all sorts of data that can be collected that will have certain implications um, on 
your outcomes. So a lot of it is about individual data, personal yeah. data about you, where you live, um, what you're doing, how you're spending your money. What your habits are. What your habits are, exactly. The most scary example, I think, is with the um, prisoners and criminal yeah. examples. So data that's collected about you as an individual will inform um, the extent to which you're likely to re-offend and therefore what your prison sentence might be and um, so it's really really the focus is about personal data yeah and I think that's when her her main argument in this book the way that I read it and it's interesting because I think your you read her main argument as a slightly different one my interpretation of the main argument that she's making is that fundamentally she's saying mathematics is not neutral we learn at school that two plus two equals four and that's set However, in the in the real world and in these models and algorithms and whatnot, mathematics are no longer neutral and objective because they're informed by assumptions and proxies and value judgments that go into each of these terms of these algorithms. So they're pretending to be neutral and objective and pretending to objectively assess a situations and oftentimes, like in the prison example, make a prediction about something, but they're not. So th this for me was her main argument. This is a big wake-up call. Hold on. You think now that we have machines everywhere, everything is much more fair and neutral than it used to be, but it's not actually. And I think that's where absolutely it adds value where in the Oxfam space, because that's what we're all about. For example, on inequality, we say these things are neutral and objective and they can't be changed. And it's kind of the best thing that we can hope to be stuck with. But it's not true. Yeah, I mean, so I think her main argument is slightly different from my main takeaway. So I, I agree. Yeah. I think her main argument is that there's all these models working around us that we don't understand that have exactly this non-neutral impacts and we should be concerned about that. Um, my main takeaway though was that that's always been the case in terms yeah. of there being um, forces that govern the way that our societies work, the way our businesses operate and our democracy works that have included non-neutral elements of discrimination, marginalization, um, of putting people into buckets or categories and, and discriminating against them. Um, the way that that used to work is those characteristics were more transparent, more obvious. It was um, gender discrimination in the workplace, which you can see if you look at the levels of seniority of men versus women, or it was racial discrimination, or it was, it was something that was more visible and therefore we have over time been able to address these, um, these issues and eliminate them to some extent or at least regulate against them. What's different, what's new, is that these, um, these kind of methods of putting people into different categories, different boxes, and treating them differently as a result are all much more hidden. So the, the kind of least uh, pernicious, I think, uh, version of this is it, just in terms of advertising, right? So historically, you would had, have adverts on streets, on billboards that were based on the kind of people that walk down that particular street or billboard. But what we've got now is that these adverts are much more specific. They're directed to us through our social media feeds or in a way that's much more personal. And the basis on which those adverts are getting to us is based on data which we can't see, track or ever understand. I've noticed that sometimes the adverts that are directed to you 
uh, they're occasionally not right, and that's what makes you think, Oops, how on. are the other ones being directed towards me, the ones that do seem to be targeted specifically at me? What data is leading them to? And that's exactly it. You don't know what data is being used to define you and therefore what buckets you get put in and therefore what treatment you get as a result. And that's the secrecy dimension of her, exactly. of her characteristics. The like, opacity. And that's a really yeah. good example. Some of them are a little bit more transparent, but the targeted advertising, which by the way can be really predatory because she gives these examples of loans being offered to people who are already poor, specifically targeted at them so predatory loans at terrible conditions specifically to the people who will have the hardest time paying them back or for-profit colleges that are incredibly expensive to people who are already in a lot of financial trouble so that's where the not just the secrecy but the negative feedback loop comes in and the pot potential to do harm does my question would be what can oxfam learn from this well, I think I think the opportunity that we have now is not to be um, kind of uh, passive recipients of new technology and assume that it, it necessarily has to be this way. Um, you know, the example I gave of um, the Industrial Revolution, like there's obviously regulations that you can put in place to control the way that um, technology does or doesn't have transformative impacts. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to think about data protection. I think... As Francisca said, this is a very US-centric um, book. So the regulations that we've seen here in Europe with um, GDPR would limit a lot of, actually, a lot of some of the examples that, that are explained in the book. So I think there's obvious ways that regulation can um, can limit the, the extent to which these weapons of mass are actually destructive. Um, and there, there are also opportunities with these weapons of math. So I think it's really about understanding yeah. the potential and then harnessing the ones that, that have a, a great potential and and regulating, constraining those the uses of data and the methods of collection and the ability to identify individuals and treat them differently as a result. So I would have seen, I would have liked to see more about, okay, now what exactly can we change about all of these algorithms? And it's not always clear to me. I said at the beginning, I went in looking for a bit of clarity between the different scenarios, right? All of this is big data. Well, what's an algorithm? What's a model? Um, and I didn't get that clarity always. It's a little bit confusing. And yeah. some of the examples don't fit very well, where they mostly just talk about some issue that they're trying to measure. Like that was the case for the colleges. Yeah, there's, a, just, lot of, there's a lot of stuff to mix together. mixed in there. And a couple of them she says at the end, and this isn't a weapon of math destruction. Yeah, yeah. Because like, it doesn't, what? And it's like, oh, so it's, it's hard sometimes to get you know yeah clarity yeah. on exactly what the problem is it, it it really is a bit of a mapping of the state of affairs with data and measurement but yeah. some of the stuff like you say has always existed we've always had incentive problems um we've all, always had problems with measurement i mean yeah. when she talks about the college ranking system yeah that was always being gained i mean way or the other yeah the doing business indicators by the world bank get gamed i mean exactly. there's a lot of different problems with incentives and measurement that aren't necessarily the point that she's, I think, trying to make with the book about big data and Yeah, that was just left me a little bit confused because that was part of what I was looking for. Um, but in all of these scenarios that she's showing us, I think she's trying to make us an informed 
consumer mm. of what all this stuff we're putting out there and that we rely on. We put all this personal information out there that somehow gets fed back to us in multiple forms, be it for a loan, be it for choosing a university, a car, an insurance, um, whether we have police in our neighborhood or not. So yeah. she really, I read it as a really, you wake up, you the individual wake up because all this yeah. stuff's happening. So would you say the title Weapons of Math Destruction is perhaps a bit misleading because the book covers some some issues around data where you think it really is being used as a weapon and then other kind of issues are lumped in. I mean, I think it was chosen because it's catchy, right? Like, yeah. and it is, she uses the abbreviation WMD throughout the whole book and she, you know, is trying to make a point that this is something to worry about. I think it's a title that's very well chosen, mostly because she tries to contrast two realities, the reality of now which is based on math, which is based on something that happens automatically in secrecy, which we don't fully understand. And this world we had before where someone sat on a, at a, behind a desk and made a decision on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and both of these worlds are really flawed. She mostly talks about the world we're in now and very little about how things were done previously. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly... Things the kind also, of discrimination it, and of course, incentive this was problems. Everywhere yeah. else as well, right? It yeah. was never fair the way that loans were given to people or that people were racially profiled in the streets by police. That's never been fair. But it was more out there, I guess, mm. is what she's saying. So if you wanted to challenge it, it was a, in a it was possible in a much more visible, tangible way. Whereas now you much of this has been taken away. And I I think she's saying is not necessarily worse now, but it maybe threatens the democratic process a lot more. Because I've we been don't thinking, understand We it. don't understand, because yeah. I've been thinking about, why does she saying that? Is she saying it's worse now? Or it, w it used to be worse, but we yeah. don't really know, because she doesn't give us a comparison. So that was going to be my final question. Is there anything you would like to, to know more about that, that wasn't in the book that should have been? Yeah, I want it more of a baseline, more of a comparison. I get her points. She hammers, she hammers it home yeah. repeatedly yeah. that none of these things are objective or neutral and there's lots of value judgments and assumptions that go into models. I get that. But mm -hmm. then how was it before and what are we comparing this to or is this mostly about the potential of harm and the future? What I really wanted to see was a, a kind of a broader reflection on different attitudes around the world in different businesses and different societies towards this individualization of data and the way that we can be kind of, you know, treated as, you know, micro units that have targeted advertising. And if there's any sort of pushback against this and it, and where, where that pushback might come from and what the arguments, if you like, not just the destructive ones that she kind of broadly says are about increasing inequality and hurting the poorest people and leaving the most vulnerable behind. But where are the more conceptual and almost philosophical challenges to this increased use of data to profile us and to have different policies and different um, products, you know, come at us as a result of that? Don't you think she gives us, like a glimpse at her philosophy and her the con the con more conceptual side of the dangers of all of this is some programmer is sitting in some room behind a computer for ma for many of these examples not all mm. of them and like typing away inputting a model and well there you go it's some sort of undisclosed person doing a lot of the legwork which but I don't, I don't get a 
a, a feeling of her philosophy about um, what we should be valuing in society, how yeah. we should be treated as individuals or oh, as communities it, yeah. and as societies. And there are a few things that she says. You know, it's hard to it's hard to value things that aren't in the model. So you then get you get the wrong things churned out because the wrong things are being uh, are being quantified. But I don't get a sense of therefore what should we be valuing and and measuring so that we don't get sucked down this very kind of micro level analysis of individuals individual behaviors it sounds to me like you should read this book if you want to understand the problem of how individuals data can be used but not to get the answers about what we should do about it so francisca can you give me your final word on this book the final verdict is definitely pick it up it's only 200 pages that are very excessively written, very easy to read, 200 pages well spent with loads of great examples. So really good value for time. Well, I think I'll be doing that. Um, you should. Thank you both for talking to me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.